0: hi guys and welcome to q and a episode two i am sitting here with or well, not exactly here he's virtually here with uh with Luke. how are you luke
1: yeah good and it's a shame because we're actually in the same county for we're
0: training days. together in about two hours
1: yeah um but now obviously cal's a cal's a busy man so we can't do it but um can get together for this one but the um no, i think uh, before we even start i think we should all uh take a moment and congratulate cow on his uh on his big move and um you yeah, to uh frontline fit in manchester which is going to be end of the month and that's uh, an awesome awesome well-deserved accomplishment for the big man so yeah i'm excited yeah, i'm not surprised
0: another another shout out to everyone listening for um the really cool support that we've been getting everyone from uh a lot of views, so you know we're both we're both very thankful for that, and it's been quite overwhelming in regards to the amount of people who've been listening to the podcast, which I'm sure Luke will agree.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. You you bunch um, of
0: legends, which has been cool. So mm. uh, we're just going to keep on sharing our content, um, and hopefully you keep on liking it. Um, I still don't have a drum; still working on a drum, but I will get it one day. Um, today is going to be the second Q and A. We've had quite a few questions actually come in from um instagram uh dms from the stories that we've been putting up so today will be like a obviously we had last week on digestion this week will be more of a mixture of topics we've got quite a few things to go through six or seven uh questions again we'll get this wrapped up again in probably 45 minutes um and and like um,
1: i mentioned last time this is all cow i'm 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 leaving in in the (laughs) next (laughs) in the next two minutes i'm just here for the intro just drop the mic
0: Drop <laughs> the mic. Yeah. Um do you wanna do you want me to start with the C V question then?
1: Yeah yeah. Do you want me to read it out?
0: Yeah, go on. This is Adam, Adam Hilton, if you're listening, you will be.
1: Is that one of your clients? Yeah. Okay. So the question. He says one surrounding my own programming with yourself that could be used um how do you go about including cardiovascular work for somebody let's say in a recon phase what are the factors you would look at versus simply reducing calories for myself we are also looking at aerobic conditioning alongside body composition or condition i think he's written but um so cardiovascular work is almost a given But if you had a highly stressed individual or somebody with very limited time, would calorie reduction be the preferred route? How do you weigh up between the two? Um, Or how, how do you weigh up keeping food high to elicit better recovery and training response and introducing cardiovascular work versus lowering food and not introducing cardiovascular work as the cardiovascular work will inevitably dig into recovery and the extra food intake. Um, Yeah, it's a good question it's a long
0: question (laughs) it's a long question, Adam likes to talk Um, so it's a really good question and it's something that like like every coach here that's listening will have probably come across in some context where you've got clients coming on board that um, would potentially benefit from creating some aerobic adaptations and working on that system however Uh, you know, they may not be in a position to, you know, recovery-wise to be in the best place. Now, like, if somebody's coming to me highly stressed and we look at, like, the the whole picture and we look at, like, someone's allostatic load, so someone's stress load, and we're identifying, like, every single variable in their life that's causing stress, whether that's, like, physiological or psychological, um, when we look at the CV side of things, obviously calories are gonna play a big role in managing body composition and cardiovascular work can add to that stress load. But as me and Luke were discussing earlier before the call, like, we've got this catch 22 scenario where we know for a fact that some aerobic conditioning performed across the week, performed across the day can be very beneficial from a stress management perspective. And like if we're spending periods of time working on that system, creating aerobic adaptations, working in like a a lower heart rate threshold for slightly longer periods of time. We're getting a lot of cellular respiration. We're getting a lot of oxygen uptake. Um, Someone's working on their breathing within that time frame. We're improving things like mitochondrial efficiency. Like we're creating adaptations that are going to be positive for us to manage stress, reduce inflammation, and essentially put someone in a better position recovery-wise. The only issue is that obviously the further we drive that forwards like potentially the more stress we're accumulating. So if I were to put something like that in the plan, like I'd make it specific to the exact time they were doing and I'd make it specific to the exact heart rate threshold I want them to stay in for the session. Just so it's not like I want you to go out and do 30 minutes or 45 minutes of CV work with no, with no kind of classification of how intense they go. Because most of the time people will turn that into something far more intense than it needs to be. Um, And, like, if you actually, like, take, like, a 45-minute session at 120 beats per minute, for example, like, it's not – you won't be blown out your ass in that session. We don't want you to be blown out your ass because we're creating a stress response from that. So the whole point is to lower and keep stress response manageable through that time frame. Um, Like, when we're looking at stress and see, like, output and managing body composition, I I tend to go – for an individual that like is extremely stressed and is extremely sympathetic, if we've got two sides of that autonomic nervous system, and they are spending a lot of time in that sympathetic state. Uh, HRV is very, very low. Resting heart rate is very, very high. Um, like we're probably going to take the approach of keeping food a little bit lower um, in terms of like actual intake because digestive function is probably going to be compromised in that state anyway. Um, and also keeping output very very manageable so training volume is going to be low output is going to be low in general and then working on like quality of nutrition working on sleeping patterns working on general stress management and then once they've built up more of a tolerance then I'd start to increase output from there and increase calories at the same time Um, I wouldn't necessarily go like one high one low so I wouldn't go for an individual in that scenario like as you know I wouldn't go like output high calories low because we're just going to create more of a an issue there, um, would you agree with that, Luke?
1: Yeah, literally, wouldn't add a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was good. That was good, and it's I'm a, sure that would have answered his question. Well,
0: um, I, I know I know that both of us, even taking away from like that highly stressed individual like demographic of client, I know both of us will add in CV work with people year round, yeah. even if the goal is like body composition and bodybuilding. Yeah. Even yeah. In an off season
1: and that's where like even from from personal experience like the, the 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 difference you'll notice in recovery during sessions like between big sets um is is outrageously better when you when you include some form of aerobic conditioning and like even you know from stuff with clients um you you have someone with like some you know pre hypertensive or hypertensive uh blood pressure one of the probably the fastest way you're going to reduce that is it is by implementing aerobic conditioning um and and that's generally just going to have an you know an incredibly powerful effect with regards to optimizing health um so yeah i mean it's it's a powerful tool and it's one that people need to look at as more than simply in it with its relation to calories and, and like look at more at the health benefit side of things that Callum just talked about. But yeah, cool stuff.
0: Yeah. I like, uh, I, I like the fact that people are becoming more receptive to, um, a new, like a new way of thinking from a bodybuilding perspective. Mm. Um, and like the new way of thinking is a lot more performance, health and recovery orientated. Mm. Um, Whereas, like, if you look at, like, five years ago, even for myself, when I first started training, I'd think it, I think, like, my immediate prejudice between, like, cardio was, oh, it's, it's just going to limit my ability to grow. But now, mm. like, I view that as actually, like, it's favourable to do it if I want to grow.
1: Mm. And that's the thing, like, the, the, just clear up that myth now. Will you lose muscle if you do cardio? No. No. Nah.
0: <laughs> no. But you'll just improve your ability to perform yeah, and
1: recover. And, and, like, potentially, you know, all the all the the muscle cells like the types of muscles that are responsible for that um aerobic capacity being like the type one musculature you're probably gonna cause some element of hypertrophy there so it's um yeah you know it's it's if anything it will help you but anyway i mean that should be pretty much covered you say
0: yeah yeah sweet sweet um okay uh question two digestion luke which
1: one do you want to start with? Well, so where's, I suppose it's all lumped into one. So uh, someone's asked, um, wondered if you, everybody has a different opinion on what to take and what not to take for digestive health. Thinking in particular like digestive enzymes, as I've been told to take them, and someone else said don't unless you have a specific issue. Um, which And then someone else has asked the effects that uh, drinking water can have on... Uh, digestion pre and post meal and the the you know see so they've said that some information says it dilutes the stomach acid and then someone else has asked about the optimal dosage for um uh like digestive aids mainly being hydrochloric acid hcl um and i so, say like we can answer this all in one but it basically um the 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 whole thing about supplementation with regards to improving digestion and digestive function there's obviously different types of supplements and they're all aimed at different parts um, you get you know certain supplements that have a lot of pancreatic enzyme enzymes in some that have a lot of like bile and uh, the cofactors necessarily for bile biosynthesis um, so that will help help with fat digestion and then there's ones that have quite high levels of hcl which will contribute to an improvement in like gastric acid levels if they're deficient and that like a deficiency like or an underproduction of hydrochloric acid is astoundingly common Um, but when you break down uh, the processes that cause that to be the case which we'll go into in the next episode in more depth but that mainly you're looking at a compromised eating practice as opposed to anything else so so the main benefit you'll get with regards to re-establishing an adequate level of hydrochloric acid will probably come from changing your eating practices changing your dietary practice like food choices um but like how you're eating so you know chewing food taking your time a bit more making things easier for your stomach um in general um and managing stress levels in the long run so so you know, and that's where I would always start personally, like, it, you you can often kind of mitigate any uh, symptoms of hypochloridia, which is, high, you know, low stomach acid, um, by simply addressing lifestyle factors and, and, and their approach to how they're eating, um, and then in the cases that that isn't enough, you might need to implement some level of uh, supplementation um just to raise levels initially but you'd never want to use that as a crutch um so like some people will then kind of have a digestive enzyme and feel they can't consume protein unless they have their you know 200 milligrams of hcl on hand and, and it, you know you should always look at that sort of thing as a tool to get you back into a, a, a you know a, a normal level of functionality and then once you're there you don't need it anymore um and uh you know but and then then, so with regards to when to use it that's probably when like if you've if you've addressed lifestyle factors not found that your ability to process foods has improved and like you're still experiencing things like bloating um and uh and perhaps like you feel like stuff sticking about in your stomach i mean some other um general signs of uh hypochloridia which would be high of the stomach would be things like burping um, you get obviously bloating you're you're feeling full for extended periods of time and that's predominantly around the area of your stomach your appetites not that great um, you have you, you seem to get an upset upset stomach quite uh, frequently um, the you know if you were to take blood you potentially see like deficiencies in iron and stuff like that um, and certain other minerals because you you need that acidic environment of the stomach to facilitate the absorption of a lot of these minerals um and uh, you know certain food allergies and stuff like that so there's a lot that can contribute and um and those are all the the things that you'd essentially gauge as to as to whether or not you you're in need of supplementing with hype you know uh, with some level of hydrochloric acid um but the and there's some advice that tends to be given with hydrochloric acid, which is, I think, personally, a little bit reckless, which is, you know, to, to gauge the amount that you need, you want to take as much as possible until you feel a burning sensation. Uh, and then I fucked myself up with that. And then you drop it down. And the, the idea there is you're basically um, finding your upper limit for uh, hydrochloric acid and... And once you hit that you once you get that burning sensation, what's essentially happened is you've degraded your mucosal barrier, which is the the, the light or the mucosal lining of your stomach, um, which is there to protect your stomach lining so if if you didn't have that mucosal lining, you would essentially digest your stomach lining, which is what happens when you have a huge amount of um, of stomach acid or in cases where people have an overproduction of stomach acid, which is like the opposite condition to what we 're talking about um and in that instance, you want um, you you would be quite. Well, I just I basically think that if you're gonna take enough of something to essentially cause damage to your stomach, it's probably not the best way to do it. The best way to do it would be to start low and and gauge your response based on how symptoms improve. And if you find you only need like one tablet, that's fine. If you need two, that's fine. I personally wouldn't push over five hundred milligrams of of HCL with anyone um i don't think it's necessary um yeah i think that's and then lastly with regards to the water there's like a common myth that water um will dilute stomach acid um and it is a myth um like there's not a lot of evidence like it logically makes sense um but when you consider how quickly uh, water is is absorbed through the stomach um which pretty, you know basically takes about five minutes and um and the, you know they have found that water is able to dilute um the the acidity of the stomach, so or the p h level of the stomach, which we, we want to be very low, like an average about two p h level of two close to one um like given that the p h level of water is typically about seven, you will see some like alkalizing effect of water but they found that that will kind of dissipate within three minutes so there's there's nothing to there's nothing really with water to worry about unless you're not chewing particularly well or you're in a situation where your gastric motility is pretty fast um stuff's moving through quite quickly the 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 chances of that water having it like decreasing hdl's effect of of um you know breaking down that that protein is going to be higher but you're not ever gonna um you know food sits in the stomach for like two three hours so like you know a few minutes where water is going to decrease or increase ph of the stomach is not going to have a huge effect so i wouldn't worry too much about um about consuming water i would not over consume it but it's not going to have a huge effect so yeah
0: I hear a cat in the background? Yes. somebody remove that cat, please? (laughs) You don't hear my dog barking, mate. It's rude.
1: I know, that is rude.
0: Um, Preferred or like your go-to digestive enzymes. I've used Now Food Super Enzymes. I've used uh, BioGest, which is slightly higher in HDL, which I don't like. Um, like, well, what's your go to from
1: that? Um, front? I like, well, that's the thing. Like, there's different blends out there, like Nutrigest by Nutri Advanced is a pretty good one. Um, that's it, you know, it's not overly high. I think it's about 200 milligrams or so. Um, but then, you know, Solgard do a pretty decent one, and that's quite low in HCL, but it's also well, higher in like Oxbile and things like that. So, you know, it's potentially going to have slightly bit better effect of helping digestion further down the line with regards to the pancreatic enzymes and, and bile um, forming ability it will it will help but the um, like I, th- I think personally you're going to get more bang for your buck out of addressing how people are eating and, and getting them to slow down a bit than simply just banging in a pill so and then there's also the natural remedies you know you can go down things like apple cider vinegar but that's that's not really part of the question but still yeah I suppose that's answered
0: okay cool um let me bring on the next one I hope there I was know. one there was one on a female um gonna go through that chess training one
1: yeah
0: you find it now
1: do you want me to read it out
0: um, I got it so um I remember a few months back, one of your stories discussing how women shouldn't form flat chest exercises, instead, using or utilizing an inclined, inclined position. Can you go into more depth on this for me? As I do stay away from flat movements with my clients, but want to back up why. Thanks, from Carl. Like, for, from my perspective, it's just like from like a structural perspective and an aesthetics perspective, we want to place more prominence on the collicular and sternal head just because of the makeup of the tissues around the breast and like what we're going to get our most bang for our buck for in regards to like putting tissue on that area mm. um well it would, like you, you're of the same uh, school of thought aren't you
1: yeah i think like if you're you know you're trying to build a physique with women that's going to be the most obvious area that you you've noticed and and they you know want to develop The, the the only issue the reservation i have with that is people again kind of focus too much on on the wrong thing you know like yeah you want the the aesthetic benefit of training the upper chest but you also want to consider the functionality that the the chest plays in in managing the glenohumeral joint and so if you're not ever if you just decide you're not ever going to kind of directly stimulate the sternocostal and you know abdominal head of the um pecs then then you're potentially going to set yourself up for some level of dysfunction with regards to how your glenohumeral joint works um and and so it's like is there uh, i mean and more importantly like those upper fibers you know those clavicular fibers of the chest they're in most people and especially in women that are going to be kind of built quite delicately you know they're not going to have huge big rib cages that kind of permit those clavicular fibers a a lot of mechanical advantage on a lot of pressing movements so you're you're again going to set yourself up for potentially some discomfort within the glenohumeral joint when you're kind of using you know placing a lot of load through the chest or in the glenohumeral joint and asking a lot of the fibers that aren't actually that or don't possess a huge ability to to resist force that's coming directly through it um so like again you, you know you potentially miss out on on training the chest in a stronger position and just put it placing forces through that joint in a more effective manner but mm. from a, from an aesthetic perspective then then by all means, just I just be you just got to be smarter in how you go about it really. like mm. does that mean women should be smashing incline barbell and incline chest like probably not. Does it mean you want to be creative with cable stuff and and like directing load a bit more like laterally to medially? Yeah, probably
0: even like from the perspective of probably through programming. If you've got a dominance of like a higher severity of incline for pressing movements, I like could take it down 20, 30 degrees yeah. and bring it like a sixty or a seventy instead of right. you know near vertical, where they're going to be placing load potentially, where we want to distribute that a little bit further. Yeah.
1: And the, um, the, I mean, it's also like it, it, if there's like a, a bit of a misunderstanding where people think if they do like a decline movement or something that's targeting the lowest fibers of their pec that their upper fibers won't be doing anything and it's like no that, that all that's happening there is like your, your chest is a unit so you can't ever do, you know bias certain fibers completely over others like if you do a decline press your upper fibers are still working to to contribute to that movement so the um you know if you if you had some you know a client that had some shoulder issues and they still wanted to develop their chest you would still be able to get development in their clavicular fibers by not directly training them but just making sure they're able to use their chest fully you know from from top to bottom in in even like a, a flat style press um because those upper fibers are still going to be you know working to to increase the force production of those lower fibers it's just how it works hope that makes sense but
0: um, so. yeah okay that's that's covered um i hope yeah. uh next
1: well i think like on that note so that the answer to that question is train you know if you're a woman don't don't shy away from doing flat flats you know flat and decline work for, for, for chest just yeah. don't
0: spend a lot of time there yeah um I want to bring up that MEV one.
1: I've got it if you want it.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Um, there's a lot of people talking about MEV and MRV. MEV is minimum effective volume. MRV is maximum recoverable volume. Um, a lot of people on social media try to find what is what is their MEV or MRV to periodize their training. If we see back to Dorian Yates' years, or like the, the old school methodology of bodybuilding, um, we train four times a week with low volume. Also with myself, I used to train 30 plus sets with minimal results, um, then reduce my volume and increase intensity and now experience good results. Um, it is even lower volume with much better results. What is your opinion on the most optimal approach to um, training? Does volume even exist or are the greatest factors execution intensity? Good question. So who's going uh you go first because i know you you want to tee off on
1: this (laughs) no i mean i'm gonna have to say just before i even offer my very very biased opinion on this i haven't um i haven't dug into these areas in any depth really at all but that's main so is my opinion that valuable i don't know but this is simply going to be my opinion um But the reason I haven't dug into it is because I think those two concepts are fucking stupid. Um, I can use my drum now. Yeah, that like if if you're like to suggest that there's like a minimum effective volume for an individual or even an entire population, you know, with regards to a particular body part, is incredibly naive. I think and again to to suggest that there's like a maximum amount of volume that you can tolerate through a certain body part again like there's so many factors that will go into that that it just makes it completely like almost completely redundant in the sense of you could get someone go in to do a test for whatever you know their maximum recoverable volume of something and they've had you know a shitty night's sleep alternatively they've had an amazing night's sleep just those factors alone are going to mean that you can't be sure that 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 whatever result they get out of that testing session is going to be the same every time they go into the gym and right. then you consider you know someone could have some you know a difference in you know energy intake like caloric intake and the, how that's going to affect it and you know the the amount of fatigue they're going to accumulate over all the you know they're basically there's so much that will influence what's you know a minimum effective and maximum recoverable volume for for someone that it makes it just a little bit pointless to to design a program around these kind of arbitrary standardized numbers that probably are not going to be at all accurate every time you go into the gym so Mm -hmm. i mean that but you know i might be completely completely off um and like again like i said i haven't gone into them in depth so it's probably not wise for me to 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 go in like this but you know it's it, it just it it's it's like there's a lot of people out there that try and make program design as easy as possible by coming out with as much generalized uh, principles and, and things like that as possible but you you know at the end of the day we're every single person is an individual and we're working with individuals and you know and if you're trying to design something Personalised, you can't bring in something as generalised and arbitrary as MOV and MEV, which doesn't mm. work. I don't know if you'd agree.
0: I agree, mate. Um, there's, there's, for me, when I see, when I see those studies, when I see those infographics, like there's too much, there's too many moving parts going on to definitively say um, this is, you know, this is the deal. But then you flip that on its head and it's like I appreciate that it is a generalization. But then if it's a generalization, then like what's what's the point of saying it? Yeah. Because it's, it's not it's not specifically applicable to anyone. Hmm. Um like from my school of thought, and I know you'll be the same, it's like oh like for lo- like longer term with people, I'll always try and get the most from the least in regards to volume. Hmm. Um, but like I'm gonna place all my all my efforts towards just looking at every single variable within our toolbox that will mm. help improve recovery mm. and that will help improve performance and just optimizing those individual ingredients and then mm. I know that they're going to get a, an optimal response from that mm. um, like the training side i'll put a program in place and just let them take over through that and I'll, I might reassess it in a couple of weeks, but my main efforts are going to be coming from everything outside mm. of training
1: mm. and, like, um, and, like, and and like you know adding to that you, you take someone who You take two individuals, I mean you could take two twins that are built exactly the same you you know and they're they're technically on paper they should have the same MEV or the same MRV, one of them trains unbelievably precisely is directing load extremely well through tissues so the the amount of um, work a specific tissue is doing is a lot higher than the other guys just going in and you know not paying any attention to execution. They're gonna have hugely different MEVs and MRVs based on simply their approach and you know how they're executing these movements. So you know, and that's something that you just can't account for. If someone goes in like, oh, well, you know, what's my maximum recoverable volume for for chest? It's like, well, you know, most of what you do for chest isn't being directed through your chest. So you're probably gonna need, or you're on paper gonna need a lot, um, a lot more than someone who can direct load really well and okay, you know, they can get a better response out of four sets than you can out of ten. And it's like, you know, that's this again, that's just too much to consider. Um and um yeah, I mean it, it, I think I think it's a nice it's a nice thought. But I just I don't I don't think it works.
0: Yeah. I think this be, I think this has grown in stem from like our it's almost like it's cross transferable to our ability to like manage nutrition in a, in a system. And they're trying to apply that same like definitive system to training. Um But the, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's variables that are involved that were out of our control.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's like, you know, on the digestion thing, it's like saying, yep, yeah, every individual can only digest and absorb 40 grams of protein at, you know, at any one time. And, you know, that's not, I don't think anyone says that, but um, yeah, but, you know, what happens when someone's got low hydrochloric acid? You know, you, oh, there's, there's a variable you haven't accounted for and it's an individual difference. So, you know, there's so much so much that goes into it. Yeah. Pe- people just, you know, you ju- just remember you're working with individuals and anything that's generalised is probably going to be pretty inaccurate.
0: Yeah. 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 So before, before even worrying about your maximum or minimum effective volume, a, do everything in your power to optimize your recovery, and B, do everything in your power to optimize your execution and training. Mm.
1: So that's what is that what he he said?
0: Yeah, yeah he just said does volume exist or yeah. are the greatest factors execution intensity? Like yeah. I think, yeah, volume, volume volume's is an arbitrary thing if you don't have the ability to execute or you 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 know you train like a pussy. Yeah, um, yeah. Like. it's the same it's the same principle as like uh the mr there's so many fucking terms now mr uh, mr v no what's the reps and reserve one r-a-r-r-r-i-r RAR. there's too many times yeah <laughs> but like the whole concept of like stopping a rep x amount of reps short of failure like it works but it's it's just i just don't think it's applicable for 99 percent of the population because mm-hmm. like most people don't know can't even conceptualize and Like rate their level of fatigue within the session because they they don't they don't day to day it's gonna be completely different. Mm, Um, But that's that stuff works, but Mm. like for a specific individual,
1: yeah, true.
0: It's not wrong. Like it's just different schools of thought, isn't it? Everyone's got a everyone's got a right to say their beliefs. This is big enough for everyone,
1: absolutely. And like I said, you know, this is just our opinion. So (laughs)
0: you think it's bullshit? That's cool.
1: Tell us. You know, and that's the thing, like all all these podcasts and you know, Callum and I are hundred percent open to being wrong. So if, if someone wants to call us out and have a good debate, then then please do because we're all learning.
0: I'm breaking it cups though. <laughs> <laughs> um so, Right, next, come on. So um,
1: last will we say last one? I don't know how long we've been going.
0: We have been going for thirty five minutes. Oh
1: yes probably will be last one. So like Throughout a session, we need to train a full uh, a muscle through its full contractile range. However, is it required to load each individual range of motion—short, medium, lengthen—or can we get a good session with just loading length and medium mid range?
0: Good question. Well,
1: yeah.
0: but I think just from a lengthen and mid range um, perspective, you're going to be able to accumulate and create the most muscular damage from those. From those movements, heavily loading the mid-range, mm. um, but for me, like when, it, when when you look at exercise selection and when you look at programming, like the, the the movements and the ranges that I'm overloading within the session will be dictated by how much volume I have for that muscle group within the session. Mm. If I've only got one or two movements to to use, and I want the biggest bang for my buck, and mm. I want to tax that entire contract. range mm. in the least amount of time and the least amount of volume possible but Mm. if i've got a whole session where i've got you know four six exercises whatever of an exercise pool where i can choose then i might be a bit more specific about right this one we're going to overload here this one we're going to overload here this one we're going to go here Mm. like we can be we can distribute that over more more exercises across the session
1: Mm. and that's like you know it boils down to like if you you know you want to break down the, the varying different um, I'm assuming this guy's talking about hypertrophy, he hasn't specified Yeah, but, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's
0: uh, Christos Okay, cool
1: um, If you're um, you know, you, you're breaking down the different you know, the varying mechanisms for hypertrophy you know, mechanical tension is a huge one, and being in that length and mid-range, your plate you know, the sarcomeres within that particular tissue are going to be in a much more favourable position to produce mechanical tension so your your ability to maximise that respective um uh, aspect of, of hypertrophy is gonna be higher if you do work in that range. The, the the only issue is like that is not a reason to then think, oh the shortened range you know, useless for going there. It's like you still need to train a muscle in its shortened range. You've just gotta understand that its capacity for for force production is, is far less and, and thus your ability to like overload and kind of get stronger in that position is gonna be less um so, you know, short range stuff, personally I view that as you want to be able to get there but, you know, applying principles of like progressive overload and things like that may not be as valuable but, you know, providing a decent position to, you know, train that tissue in which is, you know, a very hard position to get into as I've spoken about before. Um, so like to, to be able to get there you have to demonstrate an impeccable level of control and execution which means that you're going to be directing load through a particular tissue in probably a very efficient manner provided you you know if you can get a muscle more or less fully short um and uh but also you know so it's a good opportunity to implement a lot more metabolic work because you you, you don't you know the focus doesn't necessarily need to be on um you know performing you know going to absolute failure but it just could just be accumulating accumulating a lot of metabolic stress in the tissue and, and it's a pretty safe place to do that in um so i think you know if if you're if you're concerned with mechanical tension and maximizing like muscle damage which you know it's debatable as to whether that's even necessary like and, and like if you're going to go into the muscle damage thing you've got to realize that you know that's been proven quite a few times like there's a guy called ken nasaka um who's you know found pretty much conclusively that you only need... To get m- muscle damage you you have to be able to get a muscle into its length and third um, of a uh, of of its length and um, and and if you can you know if you don't need to if you don't get a muscle into its length and third you know eccentrically then you're not you can avoid muscle damage and, and they've also proven that you can still elicit hypertrophy so there, there's you know is is that necessary there's still a lot of evidence to say that it is but um but but that's one thing you want to consider like the, the you know if you start going into the ranges of you know spending all your times in the length and the mid-range you're potentially going to have much more um negative impact on performance in the long run because of the effect it will have on decreasing you know your available range of motion pretty acutely and that's just to do with the fact that you've essentially damaged the structures of that muscle um and if that's something you want that's fine if it's something you know if you're someone who's concerned with being able to perform in some activity outside of training you might want to be a bit more careful about spending all your time there so it's um that's yeah there's there's a lot of things to consider with that one but it's a good question Mm -hmm.
0: uh just i'm gonna do just a quick fire one now because this will be interesting to lead on from the training side um Interested in you, uh, in your take on programming different phases in a macro cycle, hypertrophy slash strength, maybe even altering training to maximize fat loss, and how would you adjust nutrition accordingly in those separate phases? So first question, um, interested in know your take on programming different phases in a in a larger training cycle, so having phases of hypertrophy and phases of strength. Like, uh, personally for like a body comp client, I wouldn't specifically focus on a on a phase just solely. Um, created for accumulating strength
1: yeah where where are we trying to
0: find it's uh, one of the newer questions on whatsapp from Jacob Jacob's like a hybrid slash bodybuilder yeah with massive legs
1: yeah how do you just yeah I mean how, yeah i I agree i wouldn't you know if i was dealing with someone who's looking to to maximize hypertrophy i don't think a strict strength phase is required but i think if you were going to do that you're you know nutrition wise you're, you're potentially going to need there'll be less need for for um for calories in general because expenditure won't be quite as high um mm-hmm. but um but also carbohydrates specifically potentially, that's an opportunity where you could, if you were to do that, you could essentially, you know, warrant a reduction in carbohydrates to, uh, just to, you know, you could use that as a phase to optimize insulin sensitivity again or something like that. But also, um, you know, and if you were concerned with, you know, expenditure dropping too much and you wanted to keep carbohydrates high, that would probably be a phase where you could implement some cardiovascular work and not actually see any great detriment to performance. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's a few ways you can run that, I think. And
0: then, like pushing back out the other side when training becomes more glycolytic, like increasing carbohydrates in a more responsive state. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. I I think. I mean, you could also argue that protein requirement probably be a little bit lower as well. Um, So it's you know that I mean that could be a phase where. You just—it's an opportunity to almost pull pull food down a little bit, give someone's digestive system a bit of a rest, and, and you know, mi- you know, minimise the uh, the stresses you're placing on their body from a from a training point of view. Because um, I mean, strength stuff is going to be more of a of an impact on the nervous system. So, like, yeah. um, you know, implementing strategies to kind of recover there and, and not push food too much could be quite valuable. But again, if you're dealing with a bodybuilding mm-hmm. client. Somebody's trying to build muscle is that necessary? I dunno, probably not because you you still want to see them prioritizing strength during a you know, any phase that involves trying to build muscle really. Mm-hmm. So it's um I don't know, but it, 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 do you coach this guy?
0: Uh I have done in the past. He um he yeah, he's like a bodybuilder, but he has done powerlifting. He's a, he's a strong guy. So something like um, that. Yeah, like yeah. I, I know I know preference wise like because he has a powerlifting background, like he will gravitate towards doing that because he he loves both sides. Yeah. And in that scenario, like if we had a client that wanted to dabble in both across the year, then it it would it would make sense mm. completely. Yeah. Nice. Um. But there's no reason why you couldn't follow a structure like we've just said and mm. and you know benefit from that on both sides. Mm.
1: Mm. And like if someone was competitive in that instance, I mean, you you, you would but you know they're going into powerlifting meets and they've got to make certain weights you know that the the need to keep food high will be a little bit less because you potentially haven't be having to drop body weight anyway so you know it would work out pretty well probably you could like time in quite nice recomp phases with their strength work and strength preps and then and then push back up uh, you know out of that when they're in quite a sensitive prime state to grow because not only will they be in a like leaner state to partition nutrients more effectively, but they'll be in a quite a recovered state potentially, provided they've not absolutely battered their nervous system into the floor, which could p- potentially happen. but if you've been doing stuff to to maximize nervous system performance um that there'll potentially be quite a you know good well rested state to start growing from so and so.
0: like give give me two things that you do to maximize nervous system performance
1: uh like managing lifestyle factors again you know potentially doing things to make sure that outside of training they're really reducing the amount of sympathetic dominance and then potentially you know implementing certain um supplements to help with neurotransmitter production um specifically with respect to strength so like um alpha gpc i don't know things like that i mean I, i honestly don't coach a lot of strength athletes it's not my area of specialization so I would, uh, but if I was, it would be looking at natural ways to kind of facilitate nervous system um, performance like neurotransmitter production, etc., and then uh, and, and making sure they're balancing it with their lifestyle. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay, that's
0: cool. Boom. Uh, we've, we've probably got time for one more. What have we got? I don't know. We'll do one more. Um, Find some
1: absolute beast. No, i um, one. So when I was, would we want to do this one? When the hell do you know when to give someone more food, or would that be a separate? We uh, could do that. I'll tell you what. Actually, here's a good one because this would be quick. And we can talk about this more in the in the future. Um, but we can give you a little snippet because um, this is a guy who's actually inquired with me. He, um, but he, he, he's talking about. With regards to digestion, what would you advise a person who works alternating weekly day and night shifts? Uh, as in, what would you advise them to eat during the night? I feel my digestion, my digestion is bad because of trying to eat during the night. Thanks, and keep up the good podcast. We'll we'll really dig into this in the future. Um, but what's worth noting, that like anyone that does night shifts, and you you you've got to understand night shift work that disturbs your circadian rhythms has been classified as a group 2a carcinogen so it's literally been classified as a a cause of cancer so like if you're concerned with health and you and and you have a, a way of potentially not being able to um you're not having to do night shifts because i know night shifts are often optional you, you the bet the, the trade-off is you get extra pay but it's literally a case of you maybe get double the pay but you also get double the risk of cancer and that's actually proven so if you want if that's if that extra money means that much to you carry on if you have the option of not doing it don't um and you know because the impacts will go into the impacts it will have with regards to um how it would disrupt digestion, but I mean you've got to understand like that we've evolved on this day and night cycle during the night hours um our digestive system is it, uh, you know it basically runs off our internal clocks um yeah. built on our hypothalamus um, and there's certain cells in our hypothalamus that regulate how everything works and we have never evolved to really consume stuff at night n- or even function at night really so if if you're it's no wonder that you're finding digestion is bad, um, but you, you basically got to ask yourself: Is it worth the the, the issues? Really? Like, you, you, if if you can, if, if it's not that important, then find a way out of it because you you'll only benefit from that.
0: Mm. And if if it was completely um, compulsory, then I would probably suggest like reducing. Digestive load as much as possible with just like optimizing food selection and with that in mind. Mm. So like or, broths
1: or... Yeah, I mean, but all, you know, if I would personally say, you, I doubt he'd do night shifts every night of the week, but on the times he does them, I'd just implement fasting. I'd say fasting, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. You, you wouldn't want to actually give your body something to digest there. You'd just want to say... Um, I'm gonna, obviously, I'm going to be awake, but I'm going to try and minimise the the circadian disruption by just not eating, basically, because um, yeah. that that will minimise it. But you've still got to understand that just you're missing out on on some key windows with regards to human health, and um, and we want you know we're meant to be sleeping that time, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. But yeah, any any? Do you want to go into that other one, or was we? What was the other one? when When should you decrease or increase food intake
0: um like I presume that he is referring to when someone's come off the back of a diet yeah. um, or some form of recomp phase like you've got to- cons- you've got to consider the fact that like ninety nine percent of clients that will come to me'll run some form of reset or clean up at the start to improve body composition and improve health markers initially, mm. just so we create a like an optimal foundation to push from and if you are holding high levels of fat mass then you're never going to be able to utilize food as a tool Mm -hmm. moving forwards it's always going to be kind of an immediate um, lower diminishing returns in regards to your ability to use food to accrue more tissue so like when you've come off the back end of a diet someone's leaner someone's more receptive to food like metabolically you've improved insulin sensitivity etc etc the big thing to consider is that you need to base your your kind of well. First of all, like our ability to eat is directly proportional to our to our ability to grow, right? So mm-hmm. we need to consider the fact that you, food is a tool for us, but we need to use it like when we need it, as opposed to when we want it. If we want to maximize results longer term, because mm-hmm. there's a difference between what our mind's telling us and what our body actually needs to recover and facilitate adaptation. Mm-hmm. So, like if training's still progressive. If you're feeling good within the gym, if readiness to train readiness to train is good day to day, if recovery is good, if sleep's good, like and day to day internal dialogue and biofeedback's good, then hold for as long as possible. Um, and then when any of those variables start to change, then increase food. Because mm. um, I just I just feel as though people completely completely compromise like a good amount of time where they can stay lean and grow just by being aggressive with adding food into the diet when they don't need it um like it's the most beneficial part of a, co- a coaching relationship if you come after a prep or a diet where you can make objective decisions as opposed to being masked by subjective um thoughts going on in your head that mm. oh i feel flat i feel small i need more food i want to be stronger in the gym i need more food but you're completely compromising the purpose of that phase so um like the body will tell you when you need it when those variables start to start to deteriorate um I wouldn't chase I wouldn't chase a specific body weight goal as well. If your body weight's not moving up but performance is still progressing, then I'd still keep your food the same. Mm. And then one of those if if one of those variables then stops, then I'd then I'd increase it. Mm. Obviously if somebody's like very, very hungry and your metabolism's working on overdrive and, and appetite's very, very high, then obviously meet appetite with 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 food intake, but then obviously mm. don't take the piss with that either. Mm.
1: Yeah. What well do I like- you think? Valid. i mean i, th- I think we'll, we'll we'll definitely delve into this more in the future because there's a lot more to say i i personally and that like i always like to to test because there's, there's issues where or issues cases where a lot of the time you get someone who you, you you begin training with them and they're they're not used to using their muscles in such an efficient manner and then they're they're inevitably going to build more muscle in that instance and so their ability to well their, their metabolic rate is essentially going to increase anyway so you, there's a room to to increase calories and i like to personally try to increase calories before i even start reducing them just because sometimes you can but get away i, I with think
0: it like as well. you don't you wouldn't need to eat, you wouldn't need to reduce them in the first place if yeah. composition was the goal because they're just going to yeah. train more effectively yeah and that's the like, thing like, you could hold food for like 8 weeks and they could continue to get leaner yeah. every week
1: yeah so so yeah, there's there's varying ways you can do it, and that's where you know it boils down to if we could give a generalised answer, it'd be awesome, but we can't. <laughs> it's a uh, it's an individual thing. You get some people that you can build food and build food and build food, and they get unbelievably lean, and you're like, sweet. But I put a transformation up not that long ago of a, of a client of mine where we did that with her, and, and we, we ended the whole photo shoot prep on more food than when she started, and it was because we built tissue, and, and she was more... You know her output was already incredibly high to begin with, but it, you know you get some. She also was quite lean-ish to begin with, um, so there's you know there's different situations, and you get some people that, um, you 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 just simply have you have no option but to bring food down, and it's like, you know, there's we're all individuals, right?
0: Yeah,
1: and that's where it's up to the coach to be able to kind of recognise that and figure out what works best, but it's. Uh, nice
0: starting composition is going to go where you go though isn't it yeah um I mean, yeah adjust from there anyway. I think that's, I think that's going to last 45 minutes should you wrap it let's wrap it awesome. um next week we've got digestion 2 haven't we
1: yeah and we'll um we'll, we'll cover again a bit more on the uh, um well this will be going through the stomach um the uh, small intestine, bit on the pancreas, and then we we've got a guest lined up for the final part. And if we then have to do a little bit more because he's rubbish, uh... <laughs> 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 no, um, no. If we if we, we we may then do like a final episode covering anything that we don't get on because we know this guy's gonna um, go off on some pretty cool tangents. Um, and there may be some areas that we decide we want to just cover over again um but no, it should be exciting it'll be good
0: definitely definitely um but keep the keep the questions coming in obviously there's some that were asked that haven't been answered yet but obviously that will happen next time yeah. um we want to try and keep these 40 45 minutes every time um and yeah happy. that's it yeah we will talk soon
1: yeah that was awesome
0: Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.